Hello and welcome. I'm Tess. I'm Steph. And this is the stunning history of today. I decided to change that up because every time we do an intro, I would say stunning history today. I'm Tess. And then you'd be like, I'm Steph. And then there'd be just awkward silence because I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to change it up. And I think that worked a lot better. So let's just stick oh, with that. You. I, I was even concerned when, when you started and I was like, Am I supposed to say something? Was something supposed to go in here? I'm confused. I did, I, uh, trying to be professional and... Well, I'm trying. Okay. Happy Pride Month. Woo. Happy Pride Month to our beasts out there. <laughs> our beasts out there. Our LGBTQIA plus beasts. beasts. Yes. What an amazing time. I've already seen all the, the rainbows popping up on, you know instagram on like companies trying to sell pride stuff and it's like why are you why are you trying to sell pride stuff but anyway let's have fun hey it's pride <laughs> yeah to be fair i did see a really nice pair of shoes on asos like from i think it was converse and they had like like um white based pride ones and they were actually so cute and i thought oh like mm, those are nice <laughs> well i mean hopefully some of them are actually doing it for a good cause and Mm. not just doing it to i mean let's be real they're probably all doing it just to make a bit of extra money but hopefully hopefully some of them are actually donating or like doing something with it but mm. anyway let's move on before we open that (laughs) can of worms so um today i took a break from violence Thank oh. you. Yes, thank you very so much. So nobody died? Nobody died. Oh no. <laughs> well, no like, I mean, a... people die, but like like every day, but like this is not about death or violence or murder, kind of. This is different. Pride Month has done something Pride glorious to you. <laughs> I'm just trying to be positive. Um <laughs> it's uh I it's very me in the topic. Oh, that's probably not what you're thinking. Oh, I got so excited. I was like, oh, yes, Disney. Not Disney, but, but never mind. it's another thing that's a bit me and will probably show my inner nerd. Um, I don't know if that's a hint. I mean, there's so many things, Tess, like I'm trying to narrow it down. I'm not a nerd about that many things, am I? Yeah. <laughs> you're just like... Yeah, you're a nerd. <laughs> Sorry if you didn't already there's nothing, know. There's nothing wrong with being a nerd. Take pride in being a nerd because, you know, you know a lot about stuff and you 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 could do really great on masterminds with certain things. I don't think I could. I think you could. Like, okay, so my specialist subject of mastermind would probably be Harry Potter. Oh, of course, of course. See, I don't think I know enough about one particular subject to do something like that. I know random little bits, but I like even with Harry Potter, I've only read the books once. So there's a lot of detail that I don't know, like I can't remember. So if I were to go on, they'd be like, what happened in this book? I'd be like, uh, I, I can't remember. I've read it once, like two years ago. I was like, okay. But... It's okay. I'll just be shouting the answers from the side. Just, oh, no, you're not even shouting. Whispering very loudly. Oh, no, you'll yes. be coughing. You'll be coughing. Do you remember? Oh, oh. Be... 
what am I gonna do though? Because like, there's no multiple choice. I'm gonna cough in Morse code. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or I would say out loud like, I don't think it's Voldemort, and you'd be like, <coughs> and I'm like, okay, maybe it's Hermione, and you'd be like, silent. And like, I think it's Hermione. <laughs> What question involves the two of them being like, I, it might be Hermione, it could be Voldemort. Like, what? Like, who has the best hair? I don't who even know. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, we're already... Okay. Let's let's just get into this before we go even worse. Okay, so, on this day, 13th of June, 1934, we're going back 88 years ago, an amendment to the Hayes Code was adopted, prompting the establishment of the Production Code Administration, also known as the PCA. Sounds really boring. And you're like, why are we talking about this? What is going on? It's interesting, I promise. <laughs> okay, I trust you on this one. So it's production stuff that you yes, heard about. this is very... I did think that. Yeah. But I was like, oh, maybe it's just Aurora specifically, or... I don't know. She just stands... Sleeping Beauty, that's all she cares about. Honestly, I don't blame you, but... Okay, so, everyone out there being like, what are you talking about? I don't know her. What is the Hayes Code? Okay, well, the Hayes Code, it's a set of rules and guidelines to maintain social and community values in the production of silent, synchronised, and talking motion pictures. We're that old, guys. We're going back to silent movies. It was... um, So, basically... Why or how did this all start? And I know you're like, what What are we even talking about? So, in uh, 1922, after several risque, <laughs> scandalous films and a series of off-screen scandals involving Hollywood stars, the studios enlisted Presbyterian elder William H. Hayes, there you go, to rehabilitate Hollywood's image. Will Hayes was a US politician chairman of the Republican National Committee from 1918 to 21 and the US Postmaster General in 1921 to 22 and from 1922 to 1945 the first chairman of the Motion Picture Producers and Dis- Distributors of America also known as MPPDA or MPPDA I guess so he's like an OG piece Hollywood in the 1920s was rocked by a number of notorious scandals such as the murder of William Desmond Taylor and alleged rapes by popular movie stars, which brought widespread condemnation from religious, civic and political organisations. It was a bit rough. It was a bit violent. It was a bit problem, you know. It was a bit wild Yeah, by the sounds of it. Mm-hmm. Oh Even my. in the 20s okay. it was... Wow. (laughs) So many felt the movie industry had always been morally questionable because I think even in um, like film and books about this era when everyone's like, I want to be an actress. They were like, no, you don't. (laughs) Like it was very frowned upon to want to be a performer. Um, Political pressure was increasing with legislators in 37 states introducing almost 100 movie censorship bills in 1921. Faced with the prospect of having to comply with hundreds and potentially thousands of inconsistent and easily changed decency laws in order to show their movies, the studios chose self-regulation as the preferable option. Smart. Smart. So a little bit, let's quickly just 
take out let's go back to the the beginning about so self-censorship and pre-code hollywood so this is before um all of this uh rules and stuff came in so in 1915 the u.s supreme court U.S. Supreme Court ruled that films were <laughs> sorry. I just was like, you know how they're talking about the Supreme Court recently, like how they can do like all these big important things, and they're like movies, and it's like really you gotta. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> films were not protected by the First Amendment as free speech. You would think, being in America, they would free speech everything, but in 1915, the Supreme Court was like, nah not films so rather than allowing states or the federal government to regulate films hollywood studios opted to write their own censorship code also because as we are i mean as i'm aware and i'm pretty sure you are but maybe some people aren't states and their laws are so different it's like they're all different countries basically yeah that's really weird like how you can have two states next to each other but they have like not like completely different but like slightly different laws about things like you can do this you know but you can't do it in the next state over like it doesn't make sense and then yeah. um remember like the whole bonnie and clyde thing being chased through the states etc because like once you get past the state line the previous state can't follow you and mm. so it's incredibly flawed because like in england it's just like y- you're gonna get caught <laughs> if like you think you can go from like i don't know devon up to Birmingham and they're gonna just like stop halfway at Bristol no it doesn't work that way (laughs) no but uh I guess it's also because they wanted to avoid it being put into law because let's say if California had a rule about um swearing in movies but then Mm -hmm. um think of another state test quickly Texas (laughs) I froze I was like is there another state other than California um if they had (laughs) completely opposite rules it means that the film would either have to accommodate for all the different laws to be shown everywhere or only be shown in certain states so that just gets messy imagine having like 50 versions of the same film to be accommodating to every state that's a bit long literally take a take a while wouldn't it i'll just be like there's no swearing in california go straight to texas (laughs) (laughs) anywho so um, these studios hired Will H. Hayes, the former Postmaster General, to head this self-censorship initiative. In 1927, Hayes and his committee of major studio executives created a list called Don'ts and Be Carefuls, which included a list of content the movie industry should avoid or carefully approach. So this is their beginning of making up some general rules just to please everybody (laughs) it was like what is this filth so the adoption and enforcement of the Hayes Code so the major studios officially adopted the Hayes Code in 1930 the MPPDA which was referred to as the Hayes Office was in charge of implementing the code but proved ineffective as it had no authority to force students to omit content so they had rules but if studio or a film production was like oh, we're not gonna follow that they couldn't really be like stop <laughs> don't do that also oh, it, it sounds like they had they gave out suggestions and yes. the film suits were like okay that's nice anyways <laughs> he's like okay we're still gonna do this anyway <laughs> so all right so we will get on a bit later about what some of these rules were but before we do i'm just gonna 
talk a little bit about some other things so hang in there guys <laughs> <laughs> oh no you need to be confident this is cool stuff guys learning Ooh, it's all it's always fun it's always fun always fun so in 1929 martin quegley editor of the prominent trade paper motion picture herald and father daniel a lord i mean he's made for it right created a code of standards <laughs> of which Hayes strongly approved, and submitted it to the studios. Lord's concern centred on the effects sound film had on children, whom he considered especially susceptible to the medium's allure. Blame the talkies. Several studio heads, including (laughs) Irving Thalberg of MGM, met with Lord and Quigley in February 1930. After some revisions, they agreed to the stipulations of the code, and one of the main motivating factors in adopting the code was to avoid direct government intervention. So they were hoping this would please the big important government people so they wouldn't step in. Mm-hmm. Fair. <laughs> it was the responsibility of the Studio Relations Committee, headed by Colonel Jason S. Joy, to supervise film production and advise the studios when changes or cuts were required. So the code was divided into two parts. The first was a set of general principles that mostly concerned morality. The second was a set of particular applications, an exacting list of items that could not be depicted. Some restrictions, such as the ban on homosexuality or the use of specific curse words, were never directly mentioned, but were assumed to be understood without clear direction. So I guess they were like... You know you can't swear in these films, right? We're not even going to mention cursing. <laughs> so, okay, so they just went, you should know this. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't even say what they should know. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's very clear. <laughs> I mean, not, yeah. not from you, obviously you're very clear, but like the like the instructions are not clear. Like the, the, People are not going to understand the assignment, so. Well, I guess it's like the, the same thread of mind of like, on television today before a certain time no one swears on telly so i guess they Mm -hmm. were kind of doing the same thing of like well you do know you can't do that because you know they were very conservative back then even more so now than now i was gonna say more not more so now maybe or tea but like (laughs) you know what i'm trying to say okay (laughs) (laughs) okay okay so other things were listed as forbidden including mixing of races (gasps) Wow. Oof. I'm going to take a seat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Can't have the mixed marriages. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. 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 Stress. Stress. (laughs) Okay. So the code stated that the notion of an adults only policy would be dubious, ineffective strategy that would be difficult to enforce. However, it did allow that maturer minds may easily understand and accept without harm subject matter in plots, which does younger people positive harm. Did that make any sense? That was a quote. <laughs> say, that, say it one more time. Maturer so sorry. minds may easily understand and accept without harm subject matter mm-hmm. in plots, okay. which does younger people positive harm. So if children were supervised and the events implied, the code allowed what cultural historian Thomas Doherty called the possibility of a cinematically inspired thought crime. So I... Yeah. 
<laughs> so I think what they're trying to say is that if if something in a movie was implied, so if like adultery was implied mm-hmm. or if murder was implied and a child was watching it and they put two and two together. I don't know how they're going to put two and two together, but okay. Thought crime? I don't know. Thought crime? Like, <laughs> like the the phrase thought crime makes sense because it's, it's in 1984 um, from Orwell. Mm. So, like, basically, if you're literally just, like, thinking of the idea of committing the crime mm. or just doing something bad, that is automatically a crime. Yes. Um, so, okay, that's interesting. I don't know how they would... Sus- I, they think that children are smarter. Like, children are smart, but not they're not that smart. I'm going to be real with like, you. Some of these morals. films that have, like, implied events, even I miss them. I'm like, oh, what was... Was that supposed to be a murder? Like... <laughs> oh my goodness i read slightly off topic but when i read anna karenina oh my god did i need to be told clearly what was going on there (laughs) there was such censorship that they couldn't he couldn't even mention that they're having an affair it's all implied like i read yeah like they they imply it they never like there's never like writing about the meeting up or whatever they got up to (laughs) but they never even say that they are having an affair. And then when she... A spoiler, by the way, if you haven't read or seen Anna Karenina and you don't want to know what's going on, don't listen. Um, <laughs> but when she gets pregnant, it just... Because I, I, I knew the story. I knew that it's about an affair and about... You know, but I was reading and then suddenly she was like... And my belly has swollen now for the last few months. I'm like, wait, you're pregnant? I didn't even know you had started an affair yet. Like, I was... It was so vague and implied that even I missed it. Oh, my God. And I was looking for it because I knew the story. And I was like, I need to just be told straight out, like, this is an affair. <laughs> now she's pregnant. <laughs> like, That's so strange. Imagine just reading the story, getting halfway through the book, I'm pregnant. What? Like, I don't <laughs> know whether... I, I just don't know where because... I did find it a bit difficult to read. It was very long and there was about half the book was about farming, which just went over my head. And I was like, I don't even understand what's going on anymore. So maybe I'm just not intelligent enough to understand the book. But <laughs> I I was just like, I, I, I've missed so much because it just implied everything. And I was like, I'm, I'm not that imaginative. You need to tell me what's going on. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't help. I mean, I guess this is why, like, it's good that we don't have certain censorships on certain medias, like books. Mm-mm. Just because I, I just need to know what's going on. I don't need to play these mind games, okay? Just tell me what the tea is so I can I came understand here for how tea, it is. Right? I came here <laughs> to read the tea because I knew it was going to be full of tea. I was like, it's a biz, it's about an affair, and oh my God. And I barely found a drop of tea because it was all just implied tea. And I was like, Ugh, okay. Was it, was it something like he reached over and grabbed her hand? Next Didn't thing you know, I'm pregnant. They, they like, couldn't that's... even, from memory, there was not even any kind of sentence about them being physical in any way. Like, not even them touching each other at all. Like, there was, and it was all implied. And I was just like, <laughs> this is why I struggled. I'm, so... I'm sorry, like... It, what happens in my head with Anna Karenina now? Like now that you said it like this, they just look at each other. I didn't know. I have <laughs> like for for all I know is that they weren't even in the same room the entire book. 
<laughs> That's what it sounds like. I oh mean, maybe the it's the version I read. I read a really fancy, supposedly like original version that's like huge it took me months to read it was the biggest thing i've ever seen in my life and i've seen versions that are like a quarter of the size so maybe i read the wrong version that was just full of farming and so i got distracted and didn't pay attention <laughs> to anything else happening but uh, yeah i found you it read literally the original one that he was just like i'm gonna just pass it over to tess here you go hope you like my story Passed and everyone was like <laughs> And everyone was like, I can't do the farming. You need to move on from this. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, though, because obviously it's translated because he was Russian. I'm pretty sure he was, yeah, yeah he was Russian. Yeah. I don't know why I doubted myself, Test, honestly. Um, <laughs> and so obviously it's a translated version. So I think there may be versions out there that are a bit more modern with their translations and maybe not so vague about all of the affairs happening. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. But the sense. one I read... Went, it went over my head. It was beautifully written. I think it's it's gorgeous, apart from the farming. <laughs> I have a beef about the farming, but anyway. Okay. Now I've got that off my chest. <laughs> okay. So, you understand now why I'm interested in this also? Because I couldn't read Anna Karenina. So. <laughs> this all stemmed from Anna Karenina. Yeah. Okay, I see. I feel it. Okay, so. The code sought not only to determine what could be portrayed on screen, but also to promote traditional values. Like we need that shoved down our throats anymore. Sexual relations outside of marriage cannot be portrayed as attractive and beautiful, presented in a way that might arouse passion or be made to seem right and permissible. All criminal action had to be punished, and neither the crime nor the criminal could elicit sympathy from the audience. So they didn't want to shine a positive light. Basically, they wanted, if if in society it was a bad thing, they wanted to come across as bad in cinema because they didn't want to encourage people to do bad stuff, I think is basically... So, the, so they just want to um, automatically like shove this propaganda, I guess, down people's throats. <laughs> yeah, I guess like, you could say that, yeah. T, you're not going to get any sympathy from these people because <laughs> they don't feel the same way. Right, guys? Right, guys? Right, right. Yes. <laughs> So, authority figures had to be treated respectfully, and the clergy could not be portrayed as comic characters or villains. So, no hunchback of Notre Dame for us. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> it's true, though. He was awful. Um, <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, under some circumstances, uh, politicians, police officers, and judges could be villains, as long as it was clear that they were the exception to the rule. So uh, the entire document contained Catholic undertones. Instead, that art must be handled carefully because it could be morally evil in its effects because its deep moral significance was unquestionable. Mm, These people Mm -hmm. up in here. The Catholic influence on the code was initially kept secret owing to the anti-Catholic bias of the time. And a recurring theme was throughout the audience feels sure that evil is wrong and good is right. It's basically what they wanted to in print in their movies so Fair. on february 19 1930 variety you know the publication variety mm-hmm. <laughs> variety published the entire content of the code and predicted that state film censorship boards would soon become obsolete however the men obliged to enforce the code jason joy head of the committee and his successor dr james wingate were generally unenthusiastic and ineffective 
<laughs> the first film the office reviewed it was called The Blue Angel, which was passed by Joy with no revisions, was considered indecent by a California censor. Although there were several instances where Joy negotiated cuts from films and there were definite constraints, a significant amount of lurid material made it to the screen. Joy had to review 500 films a year with a small staff and little power. <laughs> he was more willing to work with the studios and his creative writing skills led to his hiring at Fox. On the other hand, Wingate struggled to keep up with the flood of scripts coming in to the point where Warner Brothers, head of production Daryl Zanuck, wrote him a letter imploring him to pick up the pace. <laughs> Hurry up! <laughs> we got films to I mean, make. They have, but there's 500 films over yeah. 365 days. Yeah. And like, let's not include weekends or Christmas. <laughs> So what we doing? watching five films a day and like writing as we go and just like sending the scribbles via pigeon, like hoping for the best. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so in 1930, the Hayes office did not have the authority to order studios to remove material from a film and instead worked by reasoning and sometimes pleading with them. Complicating matters, the appeals process ultimately put the responsibility for making the final decision in the hands of the studios, the people making them. So of course... They're going to do what they want. Mm -hmm. One factor in ignoring the code was the fact that some found such censorship prudish, you know, a bit too conservative, owing Mm -hmm. the libertine social attitudes of the 1920s and early 1930s. This was a period in which the Victorian era was sometimes ridiculed as being naive and backward. When the code was announced, the liberal periodical The Nation attacked it, The publication stated that if crime were never to be presented in a sympathetic light, then taken literally, that would mean that law and justice would become one and the same. Therefore, events such as the Boston Tea Party could not be betrayed. Oh, okay. Does that make sense yes <laughs> yeah yeah so if clergy yeah. must always be presented in a positive way then hypocrisy could not be dealt with either the outlook agreed and unlike variety the outlook predicted from the beginning that the code would be difficult to enforce the great depression of the 1930s led many studios to seek income by any way possible such films containing racy and violent content resulted in high ticket sales it seemed reasonable to continue producing such films they were making money soon the flouting of the code became an open secret in uh, 1931 a hollywood reporter mocked the code and quoted an anonymous screenwriter saying that the hayes moral code is not even a joke anymore it's just a memory two years later variety followed suit so before we go any further into what happened on this day and how it all changed should we take a look at what the suggestions were made in the code in 1927 yeah go on then i'm curious i want to know what these like guidelines were the guidelines firstly crimes against the law these shall never be presented in such a way as to throw sympathy with the crime as against law and justice or to inspire others with a desire for imitation. So murder. <laughs> the technique of murder must be presented in a way that will not inspire imitation. Brutal killings are not to be presented in detail. Revenge in modern times shall not be justified. Mm-hmm. Methods of crime should not be explicitly, explicitly presented. <laughs> Theft robbery safe cracking love it 
<laughs> and dynam- dynamiting of trains, mines, buildings, etc. should not be detailed in method. Arson must be subject to the same safeguards. The use of firearms should be restricted to essentials. Methods of smuggling should not be presented. They're basically like, if we show them anything, they're all going to just go out and do it, which I think is so funny. So... That's a bit of an insult, though, to think your audience is that dense. Are they going to go, oh, they've done it. I'm going to go do it too. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, it doesn't work that way. Like, people okay. have common sense. Not everybody, but have most people. Have faith. Have a little faith. So, <laughs> on to drugs. Illegal drug traffic must never be presented. The use of liquor in American life, when not required by the plot or for proper characterization, will not be shown. Also because this is, like, right smack bang and... Uh, prohibition i'm pretty sure as well uh okay uh, fair enough for that because drinking I was guess, illegal for sure. <laughs> yeah sure now we're on to sex <laughs> <laughs> the way you say now we're on to sex <laughs> this is what you came for right <laughs> yes this is the only reason i'm here just the sex nothing else okay so once i hear about it i'm gonna leave <laughs> You all know sex cells, let's be real. It's awful, but it's true. So, the sanctity of the institution of marriage and the home shall be upheld. Pictures shall not infer that low forms of sex relationship are the accepted or common thing. Wait, low forms? What What does low forms mean? I think mean? that just means... Um, you know what? I don't want to speculate. <laughs> That's fair, okay. I mean, I I think maybe it's basically what isn't common in the 1930s sense or if it's not missionary then we don't put it in (laughs) (laughs) well i also think maybe um who is in the relationship oh oh so so there's sub um categories in this category so adultery Sometimes necessary plot material must not be explicitly treated or justified or presented attractively. Scenes of passion should not be introduced when not essential to the plot. In general, excessive passion should so be treated that these scenes do not stimulate the lower and baser element. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Seduction or rape, they should never be more than suggested and only when essential for the plot, even then never shown by explicit method. They are never the proper subject for a comedy. But I love how they put seduction with rape. Yeah, I was going to say, that's, you don't put those two together ever. They don't work hand in hand. It's our fault, apparently. <laughs> that's so it's, strange. It's, yeah. Oh my god. Okay. So, sure. What, what was the last bit you said? They are like never the seduction. proper subject for a comedy. Yeah, that's another thing. Yeah. I'm sorry, but when when was when was that ever a proper subject for a comedy? Mm. I want to know what these people were thinking <laughs> back then. Like, you don't just go, mm, yes, comedy. Let's put some rape in there." That's that's, that's just not No. no. <laughs> that's not good. So, Sex perversion or any inference to it is forbidden. I mean, okay, 
This is, oh, here we go. White slavery shall not be treated. (laughs) (laughs) Mixed relationships are forbidden. (gasps) (laughs) Sex hygiene and venereal diseases are not subjects for motion pictures. Don't put that in your movie. Scenes of actual childbirth, in fact, or in silhouette, are never to be presented. To be fair, I don't think anyone wants to see that. (laughs) And uh, children's sex organs are never to be exposed. Mm. Well, I'd hope not, you know. uh, That makes sense. Okay, you've got two there that kind of make sense. like (laughs) Childbirth and children's bits. We don't (laughs) need to see any of those things. (laughs) No, thank you. Now, vulgarity, the treatment of low, disgusting, unpleasant, though not necessarily evil subjects, should be subject always to always to the dictates of good taste and a regard for the sensibilities of the audience. I don't know if any of that made any sense. This is like from the no. original publication, so old-timey language, I guess. <laughs> so, hold, no sorry, read it again for me. I'm going to close my eyes You're and You're going to close your eyes and picture it. So the treatment of low, mm-hmm. disgusting, unpleasant, though not necessarily evil subjects should be mm-hmm. subject always to the dictates of good taste and a regard for the sensibilities of the audience. So I think that basically okay. means do it in good taste and make it reasonable. <laughs> so if you're going to do it, make it appropriate. Yeah, I guess. Okay. Um, obscenity. In word, gesture, reference, song, joke, or by suggestion is forbidden. <laughs> forbidden. Dances... <laughs> Dances which emphasize oh. indecent movements are to be regarded as obscene. <laughs> profanity, pointed profanity or vulgar expressions, however used, are forbidden. Costume, complete nudity is never permitted. This includes nudity in fact or in silhouette or any lewd or lustful notice thereof by other characters in the picture. Dancing costumes intended to permit undue exposure or indecent movements in the dance are forbidden. Religion. (laughs) (laughs) No film or episode may throw ridicule on any religious faith. Ministers of religion and their character as such should not be used as comic characters or as villains. Ceremonies of any definite religion should be carefully and respectfully handled. And... National feelings. I don't. <laughs> this is about America. So the use of the flag shall be consistently respectful. The history, institutions, prominent people, and citizenry of other nations shall be presented fairly. Okay. Now titles, um, salacious, indecent, or obscene titles shall not be used. So nothing raunchy in there, please. And repellent subjects, so the following subjects, must be treated within the careful limits of good taste. Actual hangings or electrocutions as legal punishments for crimes. Third degree methods. Brutality and possible gruesomeness. Branding of people or animals. Apparent cruelty to children or animals. And surgical operations. Yeah, we don't want to see any of those things. So they got three things right so far. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they were off to a, a an okay start. Right. Yes. Fair enough. So, okay, we're on to on this day now. So we've got 
we, we're, we're there. <laughs> we made it. On June 13th, 1934, an amendment to the code was adopted which established the Production Code Administration, which I'm probably going to call PCA from now on, so if you hear that, that's what it is. And it required all films released on or after July 1st, 1934 to obtain a certificate of approval before being released. The first film to receive an MPPDA seal of approval was The World Moves On in 1934. And for more than 30 years, virtually all motion pictures produced in the US adhered to the code. The production code was not created or or enforced by federal, state or city government. The Hollywood studios adopted the code in large part in the hopes of avoiding government censorship, as we've said before, preferring to self-regulate, which I think is the underlying reason why all of this was happening even before their amendment was made. So in 1934, Mm -hmm. Joseph Breen was appointed head of the new production code administration. Under Breen's leadership, the PCA, which lasted until his retirement in 1954, enforcement of the production code became notoriously rigid. So he was serious business. Breen's power to change scripts and scenes angered many writers, directors and Hollywood moguls. (laughs) So, Mughals had to put a little spin on it. Breen influenced the production of Casablanca, objecting to any explicit reference to Rick and Isla having slept together in Paris, and to the film mentioning that Captain Renault extorted sexual favours from his supplicants. However, both remained strongly implied in the finished version. Have you ever seen Casablanca? I haven't. I know it's something that I should definitely watch. I saw it ages ago. <laughs> I've not seen it in a while, which is why I stumbled on all of those names because I was like, I can't remember who they are. Um, so adherence to the code also ruled out any possibility of the film ending with Rick and Isla consummating their adulterous love, making inevitable the ending with Rick's noble renunciation, one of Casablanca's most famous scenes. He basically puts her on a plane. I'm pretty sure that's the quote he's looking at you, kid. I'm pretty sure that's Casablanca, yes. yeah. I've definitely like heard that quote before. I've seen like a snippet of the scene. He was yeah. looking at you, kid. So, the first major instance of censorship under the PCA involved the 1934 film Tarzan and His Mate, in which brief nude scenes involving a body double for actress Maureen O'Sullivan were edited out of the master negative of the film. Another famous case of enforcement involved the 1943 western The Outlaw, produced by Howard Hughes, the outlaw was denied a certificate of approval and kept out of theatres for years because the film's advertising focused particular attention on Jane Russell's breasts. How dare you? Hughes eventually persuaded Breen that the breasts did not violate the code and the film could be shown. <laughs> How would you justify that? But they're just breasts. <laughs> they're just boobies, guys. Let them pass. What's I mean, so bad I, about I think boobies? like... I think his only argument to that would have to be a scientific one where like the only people that have made breasts like a sexual kind of factor like are society themselves. Dang. Like science are just like they're just boobs, you know? <laughs> science. But everyone's like boobs. So science science saves the day half the time, so we love that. Not yes, even so. half the time. Science saves the day on a regular basis every day. <laughs> science Yes. So, the PCA also engaged in political censorship. When Warner Brothers wanted to make a film about Nazi concentration camps, the production office forbade it, citing the above-mentioned prohibition on depicting 
in an unfavorable light another country's institutions and prominent people, with threats to make the matter to the federal government if the studio went ahead. So in their mind, it wasn't showing the horror of the Second World War, it was pointing the finger at Germany and saying they're bad people, which they didn't want to do. But also, like, didn't those um, guidelines also say that, you know, uh, don't want to depict their prominent figures in a bad light? I mean, Hitler. <laughs> that should be more than enough to say he's kind of bad, guys, if mm-hmm. y'all didn't know. But surely, for for once, I agree with the corporation on this. Let Like, I agree with Warner Brothers to say, do the film, but also the guidelines were like, oh, but don't do this. And it's like, but that was a horrific time in history and mm-hmm. should be shown and should like the story should be told and you're not like putting you're not pointing the finger at anything you're just showing what's happened yeah that's all but i guess their thinking is very different to ours today mm. very true this policy prevented a number of anti-nazi films being produced for this reason In 1938, the FBI unearthed and prosecuted a Nazi spy ring, subsequently allowing Warner Brothers to produce Confessions of a Nazi Spy with the Three Stooges short subject, You Nazi Spy, in January 1940, being the first Hollywood film of any sort to openly spoof the Third Reich's leadership. (laughs) I mean, 1940, it was early days still, so it didn't take them very long to be like, yeah, okay, we can make fun of them now. We can, like... <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. They had the balls. I love that. <laughs> Some films produced outside the mainstream studio system flouted the code. One example is Child Bride from 1938, which featured a nude scene involving a 12-year-old child actress, Shirley Mills. The code began to weaken in the late 1940s when the formerly taboo subjects of rape and mixed relationships were allowed and Johnny Belinda in 1948, and Pinky in 1949, respectively. Okay. Uh, the production code continued to be enforced, but during the lead-up to World War II, the Hollywood studios began to worry that adherence to the code would reduce their overseas profits from Europe. At the same time, Hayes warned about films being used for propaganda purposes. Hayes stepped down in 1945, after 24 years as Hollywood's chief censor, but remained an advisor. His successor, Eric Johnston, rebranded the association as the Motion Picture Association of America, or the MPAA. And in 1956, he oversaw the first major revision of the production code since it was created in 1930. This revision allowed the treatment of some subjects which had previously been forbidden, including abortion and the use of narcotics, so long as they were within the limits of good taste. At the same time, the revisions added a number of new restrictions to the code, including outlawing the depiction of blasphemy and mercy killings in films. Hollywood continued to work within the confines of the production code throughout the 1950s, but during this time, the movie industry was faced with very serious competitive threats. The first threat came from a new technology. Do you want to guess what it is? Is it colour? It's television. Oh, okay. (laughs) I completely forgot that television was a thing. What even is television? We don't even have her anymore. (laughs) Television. Movies in their own homes. I I don't know why. I just assumed that they already had television. So I was like, oh, it's got to be colour, right? So colour became before television, my child. (laughs) 
Wizard of Oz was okay. a colorful. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> this is this is why you're the film nerd, and I just know like a, a lot of other random film bits. Yeah, film bits, but you know the timelines. <laughs> So, Abyss Television, which it meant that it did not require Americans to leave their houses to watch a movie anymore. They could watch it from the comfort of their home, which itself was under an even more restrictive censorship code. you got to love it. In addition to the threat of television, there was also increasing competition from foreign films. Vertigo... Vertigo... I'm just thinking of movies now. Vertigo? <laughs> so to say vertical. Vertical. Vertical integration in the movie industry had been found to violate antitrust laws and studios had been forced to give up ownership of theatres by the Supreme Court in United States versus Paramount Pictures Incorporated in 1948. So I don't know if many people were aware of this, but before this, basically studios owned theatres. So they would only show their films. So if you wanted oh. to see a Warner Brothers movie, you had to go to their theatre. And if you wanted to see a Paramount, you had to go to their theatre. Like, it's not like today where one theatre showed all the popular movies that were on at the time. Mm, I didn't know that. TTT. Uh, so uh, 948, they basically made it illegal. <laughs> they made them give up their, their theatres. So that, uh, I guess, to make it fair... But so everyone can show their films at all the theatres? I don't know. Sure. Sure. The studios had no way to keep foreign films out and foreign films were not bound by the production code because they weren't made in America. <laughs> Two. <laughs> Some <laughs> British films, uh, Victim, 1961, A Taste of Honey, 1961, and The Leather Boys, 1963, challenged traditional gender roles and openly confronted the prejudices against homosexuals, all in clear violation of the Hollywood production code. How dare they? Yes. <laughs> How dare they violate yes. the code? <laughs> yes. Yes. So this this is why I feel like British, uh, not this specifically, but like just in general, I feel like British theatre, films, actors, etc. just so much better quality. Yeah. If that makes sense, like they they just aren't afraid to do quite a lot of things, but they do it tastefully. So yeah. Well, I just also think that America was very restricted because of their constitution and all that stuff. Because the majority of this is because of you know their freedom of speech and freedoms and rights and stuff. And it's like you talk about your freedoms and your rights, but you don't sound like you have a lot of them. Yeah, that's the ironic bit. Like like when you were saying that. No, it's it's definitely too because like when they're saying that oh you know we believe in freedom and this is our right and you know pleading some sort of number of and of something um but then they aren't aren't allowed to say this and that and the other and they have actively restricted themselves in black and white writing that they can't do this and they can't do that and it can only be like this so it's a bit strange to say that we have freedom of speech but then they've gone and actively restricted themselves. No one's gone and done it for them. They've done it themselves. Hmm. It seems very it's selective what is protected and what isn't. Mm-hmm. And I think that's interesting in itself. Because yeah. at one point they say that the, everyone's free and everyone has rights. But then the other end of it, where are they? <laughs> what are yeah. they exactly? <laughs> like even now like it still applies today not specifically films but just a whole bunch of other things i have 
popped up and it's it's weird mm. it's just really strange and very contradictory yes see that's the tea i mean a lot of people would say that they're protecting you know trying to by not involving certain subjects and certain whatevers but at the same time like if you shelter people then i think you're going to end up with a very hmm, interesting community society of you know yeah do you know what i'm trying to say (laughs) no i definitely know you're trying to say like they're they're very in amongst themselves and it just ironically reminds me of like the walking dead you know how they have their own communities and such and Mm -hmm. spoiler if you haven't seen any of these so you know but um in the comic books anyway there's um there's the community called the commonwealth and based on what you previously did before the apocalypse that is the job that you're going to have so michonne for example she used to be a lawyer so they went okay well t you're going to be a lawyer again but then there were other people that you know probably didn't have a job or had not a great job or something like that and they had to even after like the world had gone to crap had to still stay like that and you know if you were um if you were unemployed and you said to the to whoever the ruler was for coming off i forgot her name that oh i was unemployed before well t you're going to be unemployed this time unless you can find something to do that's worthwhile to stay so it's i don't know Mm it's interesting Hmm. comparisons with like a zombie apocalypse but yeah (laughs) so we're at the home stretch now so by the late 1950s increasingly explicit films began to appear such as anatomy of a murder 1959 suddenly last summer same year psycho 1960 and the dark at the top of the stairs again in 1960 the thing is with Psycho, like, Psycho is one of my favourite films. I love Alfred Hitchcock, even though he's a bit of a etch and, like, not the nicest person and had so many issues and problematic and, like, cancelled. But his films were, like, <laughs> Psycho is one of my favourites. And even then, at the beginning, I don't know, have you seen Psycho? I haven't. Okay, no. maybe a little spoilerly. But <laughs> but the, it's, it's fine. Like, I know what happens. <laughs> but at the beginning, they it's the implying of it because... I mean, scandalous, you see her in her bra, how dare you? And she's just getting dressed and, like, leaving. And already then, that was like, ugh, she's in a bra. <laughs> and, like, that just implied the fact that she had just done done the business and people were still like, ugh. <laughs> and, of course, you know, the murder and the shower scene and the fact that I think it was one of the first films to ever feature a flushing toilet on screen as well. Really? Mm. Honestly, but no, I would say if anyone, like, I understand why people don't like watching old movies because I understand that they're very different from how movies are made today. Like, they're a bit slower and yes, a lot of stuff's implied, so it's not as violent, it's not as sexy, it's not as exciting, but Psycho is really, really good and I would highly recommend it to anyone who may be hesitant to watch an old film because I think it's, it's quite riveting, you know? I won't like it. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Me nerding out. So, the MPAA reluctantly granted the seal of approval for these films, although not until certain cuts were made. Owing to its themes, Billy Wilder's Some Like It Hot, 1959, which is also one of my favourite films, was not granted a certificate <laughs> of approval, but it still became a box office smash. And as a result, it further weakened the authority of the code. 
because uh, Marilyn Monroe was in Some Like It Hot, and of course, mm-hmm. she was the big star. Everyone's going to go and see a Marilyn Monroe movie. Are we? It's an abyss. It's actually. It's one of my favorites because it's again, it's one of those subjects that you don't expect to see in an old film. It's basically about these two guys who are musicians and they witness the um, the Valentine's Day massacre. And so everyone's after them because they're witnesses. And so they go into hiding by dressing up as women and joining an all women's band that were touring, which Marilyn Monroe was in. And they both fall in love with Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> Oh, I love that. That and sounds really good. It's it's quite funny, and it's is and uh, the it's got one of the most iconic endings because one of the guys who's obviously dressed up as a lady uh-huh. has uh, an an older rich man kind of took a fancy to him, and at the end they go to run away together in a boat, and he goes, "Oh, I'm not a woman," and he takes his wig off, and the other guy goes, "Oh, nobody's perfect," and that's how the movie <laughs> ends. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god Iconic. that's so sweet was that reminds me of oh my god that reminds me of white chicks <laughs> like do you know at the end where um you know he he takes off his wig after terry cruz's character gets shot and he's just like i'm not a woman terry, Cru- uh, terry cruz is like you're not white i was like oh oh okay <laughs> apparently there's no preference there so it's fine <laughs> it doesn't matter obviously okay so <laughs> last little bit so Johnston who was uh, in charge of the code died in 1963 and after a three year search he was succeeded in 1966 by Jack Valenti former aide to President Lyndon Johnson so he went from yeah I was gonna say President that name is so familiar <laughs> to running the production code anyway so in November 1968 Valenti replaced the production code with a system of voluntary film ratings in order to limit censorship of Hollywood films and provide parents with information about the appropriateness of films for children. In addition to concerns about protecting children, Valenti stated in his autobiography that he sought to ensure that American filmmakers could produce the films they wanted without the censorship that existed under the production code that had been in effect since 1934. The rating system, which went through some adjustments, um, but it remains in effect today. So this is how we ended up with our current rating system, which in Australia is G, P, G, M, M, A, and then R. And R is like non-existent. You, <laughs> you never see an R film, but that's how we're rated. In the UK, I think it's similar. Uh, it's like U, P, G, um... 15, 18, and there's definitely some stuff in between. I've 100% forgotten. Let me have a look. I <laughs> well, want to get these, uh, uh, these facts right. Because G and PG are generally kids' films. Like G for general, PG is probably, I think, most Disney films and Pixar films are PG. And then M is... Yeah. Um, Isn't that like mature or something? M is for mature. Um, and then MA is the one where you have to be over 15 to see it. Like, they won't let you okay. win unless you're over 15. Oh, okay. So, in the UK, the ones that are currently in use are UC, which I've never heard of before. U is obviously universal. P is parental guidance. 12, 12A, 15, 18, and R18. There you go. But it says uh, quite a few more have been featured on film posters throughout the last century. Hmm. Yeah, they're still going through okay. a few different changes. And I think as well that um, ratings have changed in the sense that I think what would have been an MA film 
20, 30, 40 years ago is probably not an MA film anymore. It's like 15 at best. Yeah, like I think it's, uh, we've um, loosened it, I guess, a bit. We're a bit more, <laughs> anything goes. <laughs> I mean, I guess, like, considering over the the last few decades we've all been we've been exposed to like a lot of stuff so we become very desensitized by it so when we see a 15 film for example it's like all right pg calm down (laughs) okay (laughs) but that was that was the stunning history of today that was the Hayes code pca exciting letters (laughs) film ratings (laughs) yeah that actually was interesting to be fair because um i've never like thought of where the ratings came from um and i know that there are certain things that you know you're not allowed to see in a film like um uh any kind of horror film like annabelle for example you could just never see a dead child and watching stranger things there's a lot of dead things but like you just (laughs) there's there's a lot of things that get cut out Mm. um so it's kind of like you know you don't ask it's kind of you you've seen it so it's unspoken it's just obvious that oh there's not supposed to you're not supposed to see the face of a dead child in this film or something like that or um anything along those lines but yeah that actually was interesting yeah, you're right thank you i did i <laughs> thought i mentioned it in my research but i obviously didn't because i didn't say it that the other famous um film that kind of got a little uh leeway with the code was gong of the wind because uh if you know the iconic quote frankly my dear i don't give a damn (laughs) was originally (laughs) going to be cut because uh damn is a curse word and they're not supposed to curse but they managed to convince them to keep it in i don't know what argument they used but now it's such iconic how much funnier would it have been if it was frankly my dear i don't give a (laughs) <laughs> I don't give a, a toot. <laughs> I don't. I don't give a boot. <laughs> I don't give. A I'm boot. turning into like oh no. <laughs> I would have just said, frankly, my dear, don't give a Mickey Mouse. Oh, there you go. Yes, we're gonna get some shameless Disney plugin in there. <laughs> Bless. Well, I hope you enjoyed. I hope you learned. I um. Hope I didn't bore you with my geeky, nerdy film obsession. <laughs> Never. Never. It's always interesting. Never. T. Well, do you want to, since we're on the topic, do you want to shout out any of your favorite films? Uh, Right at the top, Wally. Oh, which you know this. Wally. <laughs> which... I think it was earlier this year made um, the list for the top 25 inspirational films. Oh, and we love an inspirational film. I think she's very underrated. Oh, so gorgeous. Mm. I just, I think that, you know, you have all these Disney princesses and um, Frozen for days. Oh, God. But then Wally is just so much better because it's promoting, like, you know, you can do better for the planet and do better for yourself. And there's always hope and stuff. Frozen is like, yeah, sisters saving themselves. No prince. Okay. But, like, I don't care about that. I care about the fact that Wally is just beautiful. And how could you not fall in love with Wally? Mm. Gorgeous. You know? yeah. He's just, oh, he's just he's so, so sweet. Cute. He just wants to be loved. <laughs> he just wants to hold hands. Yeah, oh. <laughs> 
And I've never seen a happier cockroach in my life oh. than Hal. <laughs> Hal actually is the name of the cockroach that my friend um, Ari, hi Ari, you're finally listening to this, um, has like shown me in her Wally, um, <clears throat> Wally book. And he has one eye apparently because oh. he was inspired by Hal from A Space Odyssey. Oh, there you go. Yeah, we are. We love like little Easter eggs in there, yes. <laughs> yes. Any other pieces? Because I'm gonna list about twenty five. <laughs> oh, I exaggerate, okay. um, but <laughs> um, okay. I'm gonna go for Scott Pilgrim versus the World because we oh. love how they turned like a, a comic book, well, six comic books into a fantastic film. Um, Kill Bill one and two because we love a woman's revenge, and Tarantino loves feet. We all know this. Uh, <laughs> and um i think the most recent if we're gonna talk about disney princesses the two disney princesses that i have probably the most faith in are gonna be uh raya from raya and the last dragon mm. and merida from brave Amazing. oh and also mulan because mulan so <laughs> mulan's an abyss <laughs> she's an abyss all right tell me you're 25 <laughs> my literal 25 <laughs> Um, I have to start with I'm a big I'm a Baz Luhrmann stan. I have to be. I'm an Aussie in film. Of course, I have to love Baz Luhrmann. So, Strictly Ballroom, which is his first. If you haven't seen it, it's iconic Aussie. It's if you're not, I guess if you're not Australian, you may not enjoy it. But it's, ugh, it's so Australian. It's really really good. Um, Romeo and Juliet, obviously. Moulin Rouge is. You mm. and McGregor can just be so nice with me because I love him in that movie. It's just. <laughs> <laughs> so so nice um i also do like the great gatsby i'm not the biggest stan of great gatsby but i still think it's the visuals i'm low-key obsessed it's uh yeah the visuals are great visual the story amazing. needs work <laughs> needs work um not, not like the not the story from the director or the writer it's the actual author because it's just so unreliable right so yes we don't very know the true. actual tea very true um Going on that, I think I have to do some film school answers of like The Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, um, mm. Kate Winslet and Jim Carrey, which Jim Carrey is amazing in it as a serious role. So I would recommend if you haven't seen, it's a bit mind bendy. I quite like it. Uh, old films, I've already mentioned some like it hot. Gentlemen Prefer Blondes is another Marilyn Monroe musical, really, really funny. Uh, it's the movie with uh, uh, Diamonds are a Girl's Best Friend. That's where that song's from. Oh. Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. In her little pink dress. Love it. Um, <laughs> like I said, I'm a Hitchcock fan. So Vertigo, Psycho, North by Northwest. Stunning. The Birds. Oh, The Birds. Jesus Christ. This is why I'm scared of birds, I think, is from watching The Birds. <laughs> um, more, more recent pieces. Uh, Arrival. Stunning. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Obsessed. Uh, oh, I forgot one of mine actually was the Terminal with Tom Hanks. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. That's such a good film because he's trying his best and he's, he's stuck at the airport. He's trying his best. You <laughs> just, just fall in love best. with him. Oh, bless you. Um, Plus Diego Luna, Diego Luna, Diego Luna, Zoe Saldana, and um, what's his name? Stanley Stanley Tut. Stanley Tucci? Stanley Tucci oh, are in it as well. Stanley Tucci. Fantastic. I love uh, them all. My favourite Stanley Tucci role is in Easy A when he plays the dad. And the kid was <laughs> yeah. like, but I'm adopted. And he's like, who told you? <laughs> 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 I 
I thought it was so funny. It was like the funniest moment I've ever seen in a movie. It's so good. Honestly, he's brilliant. It's so good. I think my last two I'll mention, I, Tonya, with Margot Robbie and okay. Sebastian Stan. Yeah. I think it's incredible. And I think it's, I like it as well because it's got the sense of a unreliable narrator because it's three people telling the same story and it's all different, which I really thought mm-hmm. was clever. And last one, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which is a recent one. Jessica Chastain won her Oscar for it. Andrew Garfield, our ultimate nice, is so stunning in it. It's so, so good. It's on Disney Plus, I think, in Australia. So if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend. Also, Disney. I love Disney. Of course, I'm going to mention some Disney. Um, Pocahontas Nice. I'm starting off. <laughs> I'm starting off. Just like, um, I do love Cinderella because she's mm-hmm. iconic sass we live for. I mean, pretty much every Pixar movie to have ever existed. I can't even really oh, yeah. name, like... Coco, I die every time. Oh my god, please don't! <laughs> every time, like, remember me comes on. Obviously, not and, the, and she's like, purple, and I'm like, no. Oh. <laughs> um, I can't. A hot take: Good Dinosaur. Actually, I saw that in cinemas with my sister, and we sobbed like we had never sobbed in our lives. It was too much, <laughs> and uh, it was really sweet. It's Pixar, man. Every I don't have one Pixar film that I hated so I think pretty much every Pixar film's up there and a bit Sleeping Beauty is my favorite princess so she has to be there because iconic and I just love the imagery of Sleeping Beauty that's like a legit reason why I like it it is really it's pretty so beautiful to be fair. it's so lovely okay enough of me oh I didn't mention musicals seeing the rain <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna regret now that I even I this is probably 25 films I probably have literally listed 25 films <laughs> this right um stop right now thank you very much we hope you enjoyed <laughs> listening to my nerdiness and hopefully you learned a bit of something about the film industry that maybe you didn't know and if you enjoyed not a murder story let me know because maybe i'll try a bit harder to not talk about murder every episode maybe i don't know no promises no promises honestly just (laughs) luck that i decided not to talk about murder anyway i have been tess and i've been steph and we've been stunning and i think you've been stunning because you've been listening to us and ramble on about movies if you're here this long well done you're stunning (laughs) thanks for listening hope to have your ears next time Wow, okay. Threatening to take people's ears. ears. (laughs) That's a first. Sorry. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye.